Hey guys, Paul here from Melbourne Performance Coaching and the Complete Personal Trainer Podcast. We're in our Programming Mistakes series. And we're at second episode. The first episode we talked about the most common mistake I see in programming, which is disrespecting Meldrum's law of non-competing demands. And it's not my law, but I like the name. But basically, that to summarize that, it's that you look at the macro and micro level of your program design, and are there any conflicting demands there? So, for example, within a program, you want to look at within is there a weak link between the exercises that you put together that will affect the performance of subsequent exercises? Of course, to an extent there will be, like if you do Romanian deadlifts before your uh, normal lying leg curls, it will be fatigue, but it'll be a safe type of fatigue versus supersetting chin-ups and deadlifts where your forearms will become a limiting factor and neither of the prime muscle groups will get adequately stimulated. And that can then be taken into a greater program where people are trying to achieve every single goal in one program, so they're trying to improve their maximal strength, their power, their hypertrophy, and their muscular endurance, and their flexibility in one go, when what's going to happen is their recovery resources are going to be very scarcely distributed across there, and they're going to kind of get like a tiny little bit better, but not that great. So the second most common mistake I see, and this is something that's not talked about so much, and there's a few reasons why. It's matching someone's training and progressive overload structure with their nutritional strategy at that particular point in time and their lifestyle stressors and other associated factors. So why this isn't applied? First one is a lot of trainers aren't doing nutrition programs and they shouldn't be unless they're adequately qualified and insured, which is a, you know, a topic for another day. And But needless to say, I say people should be qualified to do what they do. And then also that a lot of trainers aren't programming, which is something I feel quite strongly about and I've talked about a lot in the past, so we won't beat a dead horse. Now, let's assume you're qualified and insured. What happens in the fitness industry is people become very enamored in certain things, So, particularly from a programming design. So I remember when Polyquin was really big, every single program alternated between GBC to the 6-1 method to GBT to 753 wave learning to 8812 uh, to 612.25 whatever it was, and every trainer did it, and it was kind of like, how could they do that and make it nastier and apply that to their clientele? Now, looking back at that now, no general population client ever really needs to do a 6-1 program. No one in the general population needs to worry, who's just trying to get in shape and feel better, needs to worry about post-activation potentiation. So we don't need to worry about that. Same thing happened with kettlebells and how they became really popular. A lot of kettlebell workouts came in and all these clients are having to buy sweatbands because their forearms are banged up. Uh, same with the gymnastics movement. A lot of these movements happen and programming by trainers gets very influenced by that. And not saying that I didn't get influenced by that as well, like I certainly did, so I'm not gonna pretend I didn't. Now, what's happening now, and what's very prevalent in the fitness industry is the rise of the evidence-based trainer, and everyone's looking at evidence-based training strategies for hypertrophy. So what happens here is that we kind of know that there's a main driver of hypertrophy, and that is volume. Some coaches say mechanical tension uh, in the muscle. I think a bit of both are quite good, but we do know volume has a pretty big bearing. So a lot of coaches are just writing programs where volume just goes up regardless of what's going on in that person's life, and it becomes a very hard thing to manage and can actually lead to a state of overreaching. What needs to happen and what I don't see happening that often is matching the client's progressive overload strategy with their nutritional and lifestyle stressor strategy. So I'll use myself as an example. Currently sleep deprived like crazy due to a newborn. So if I recommended a program to myself and my volume increased drastically from week to week, what would generally happen is I would be overreached a lot quicker. 
when you are sleep deprived, as an example of one of many different possibilities, what happens is your maximum recoverable volume drop, drops. You don't have as much recovery, so you don't have as much room to move in terms of how you can progress your program in terms of a volume standpoint. Calorie-wise, I'm eucaloric or slightly hypercaloric at the moment because uh, I don't want to worry about you know, feeling starved throughout the day. So that does shift the balance somewhat again, but um, again, my sleep deprivation is probably overruling everything else. So what I need to do in terms of applying progressive overload, two things. I can apply a load base to it, where I can work in a rep range and build up over time using what's called a double progression model, or I could look at a quality and range of motion and movement perfection, I guess, point of view. So looking at how can I get the most out of each and every set and maybe progress the load a little bit slower. Both of those options would be perfectly valid and perfectly fine and would fit in with what I've got going on in terms of a personal perspective. Now, on the flip side, if you have someone coming in, they're young, 19 to 21 year old male, for example, uh, sleep 10 hours a night, hypercaloric, uh, pretty lean anyway to begin with, guess what, you beat the hell out of them. You give them tons of sets, increase their volume. You don't even care, their weight to go up too much. Um, they will go up generally because of neurological learning and building more tissue makes you stronger. But what you can do is you can increase volume as their primary driver, rather than having to worry about adding intense, uh, intense weights, and they're gonna do really, really well from that. The thing with this that makes it tricky for most people is working out where the sweet spot is. So what we kind of find is a couple of different things here, and this all seems like it contradicts something I said earlier, but it doesn't, so just bear with me for a few minutes. When someone is fully recovered and in a hypercaloric state, so they're eating a little bit more and they've got no stress, etc., etc., their threshold for work that stimulates muscle protein synthesis and muscle growth is very, very low. It's because all their ducts are in order, everything's in the right place at the right time to achieve that particular outcome. So you can start them off in one, two sets and they'll actually get a hypertrophy outcome. What happens though is their maximum recoverable volume, the most amount of work they can do, is a long way away from that. They can keep on going and doing more and more because they have those recovery resources there. So they can actually progress through a volume progression for a long period of time. Now, if you have someone who is hypercaloric and not stressed, um, what you, you, you find over time is that their ability to increase volume over a program may be just a little bit. Uh, but what the also thing that you need to consider is that their minimal effective dose, it might not be two sets, it might be three, it might be four sets, because they have less resources available, so they need more activation of the stimulus pathways, which is lifting weights, to get the same response to either maintain or increase muscle tissue. So they can be best suited for you know, using intensity as a really good driver of volume. Now, if someone is hypercaloric and highly stressed, so they're under they're hyper hypocaloric and highly stressed, well, they're in a pretty bad situation really. So what you might want to do with those people is drop their reps down, worry about maintaining muscle, and you can do that pretty easily. But what you want to do is make sure their quality of movement and their intention with lifting is at the best possible outcome and make training less of a stress in their lives rather than cause more stress. I can tell you from personal experience when doing my last cut where I was doing a fairly high amount of volume because my stress was quite low and uh, even though I was uh, you know, not working too much with the lockdown, etc., etc., um, what I found is that when my volume started to increase really high, it would literally 
cause me stress during the workout. The work, thinking about the workout and building up to a workout where I was doing something like 16 sets of, 17 sets of shoulders, 15 sets of legs, would give me like anxiety. So what we need to do with those types of clients is we need to work with them and understand where they're coming from in the totality of their body and their health and then create a program based on that and potentially back away for a little bit to build it up rather than worrying about trying to impress the client being the crap out of them with all this volume and then seeing them absolutely struggle get injured and then not want to train so guys i haven't given all the answers there because it's a very very long topic it's something we go into great detail in terms of deep health and its influence and programming in the uh, my personal training mentoring program. So if you're interested more in front than that, just reach out to me. I can send you some stuff to get you started anyway to help boost your education and get you better outcomes. But programming mistake number two, be aware of everything else that's going on with the person when you write their program. One more tip, like for example, which you talk about in the course, is people's individual anthropometrics make a difference. So if you've got a five, my former training partner was like five foot six, like not that tall, and I'm just under six foot, and the way his uh, body was set up and his different limb proportions, squats were a highly stimulating exercise, but not highly fatiguing. Uh, of course, he was tired, but they didn't fatigue him too much because he had uh, really good biomechanics, really good proportions for it, like he was built to squat. So fantastic exercise for him. Me, pretty good squatter, not as good as him relative to body weight or relative to you know limb lengths. So squats for me were a far more fatiguing exercise. So looking at volume programming for that is something that you need to consider as well. So something we definitely go into detail in the course. So guys, thanks heaps for listening. Speak to you soon.